0: Hello Stone Apes and others who are curious about the healing powers of psychedelic medicines. Welcome to the Stone Ape Reports. I'm your host, Stuart Preston. Each episode, I talk to another Stone Ape, somebody who has experienced the transformational powers of psychedelics, or with a practitioner who works with these medicines. In this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with David and his experience in treating his addiction to opiates with Ibogaine and other plant medicines. Ibogaine is a naturally occurring psychoactive plant medicine, with dissociative properties, and is often used to treat opioid addiction. His story is large, but his audio eh, was a little rough, but please bear with it, it's worth it. One thing to know, David's path is not one like a typical 12-step program. His use of these plant medicines was purposeful, with intention, not recreational, and helped him get to the core of his trauma. He also works at a plant medicine recovery program called Inscape, helping others along their paths. Okay, let's get to it. Please enjoy this episode with David. All right, David. Well, thank you so much for joining me here
1: on the Stone Dave Reports. I really appreciate your time and your willingness to, to come here and, and share your story and hopefully help some other people that may find themselves at a similar place in life.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to, um, to be part of this and thanks for the uh, invitation to, to share my, my story
1: yeah definitely. so speaking of your story, why don't we just kind of jump right in there? We like to cover kind of what what you were dealing with in life before you discovered plant medicines, and we'll talk a little bit about the plant medicines, but why don't we start with what what was going on in your life that needed needed a change that what was you know your challenge
2: yeah absolutely so um, <clears throat> I mean it was kind of a, a twofold thing so i mean the the first we'll say layer of of issue was, um, you know, I I had struggled for, I would say about 20 years with uh, drug dependency, opiates, benzos, alcohol. uh, I mean, pretty much anything that allowed me to escape um, from my uh, circumstances, um, you know, I I used at one point or another. um, And basically when I, uh, when it came into my field of awareness that uh, plant medicines could potentially help with addiction, uh, I'd been on uh, several uh, prescription narcotic medications, uh, one of them being uh, suboxone or buprenorphine for, um, you know, I was addicted to opiates and uh, switched over to that, thinking that that would be the crutch to, to help me through. Um, and, you know, basically... What I found over time is that um, that medication worked fine for making it where I wasn't using other opiates. Um, but as a you know a, a poly substance uh, drug abuser, I, I was still using other drugs, and you know, basically my life yeah. was just kind of becoming uh, extremely unmanageable. Um, now. I'm going to back up just a bit in my story. So, um, you know, I had actually had a a fairly significant period of uh, sobriety prior to, uh, you know, making the decision to go on narcotic medications. Um, So, I mean, I I had a frame of reference for what um, a better uh, lifestyle and a better, more importantly, mental health um, looked like from that period of sobriety. And, you know, basically the, the twofold thing was the, the drugs I was using uh, were, were just causing a lot of you know, problems, uh, not catastrophic. I had experienced those in uh, my, my previous period of using before I got clean, but, you know, this time around it was much more just emotional and mental health problems where, you know, I, I just had this... I guess certain way of looking at the world um, and, and just uh, just a lot of uh, behaviors that were certainly not adult behaviors really started to drive me crazy and kind of fed into this uh, cyclical cycle of just being, you know, really, really not well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, basically I'm not even really sure how I got the idea in my head to, um To look at plant medicines as a solution to kind of get out of the uh, inevitable end of where my addiction was taking me, which was most likely going to be uh, suicide. I mean I' had problems with that in the past, and that always seemed to be where my addiction took me um, and that was you know honestly the only thing that had me stop for periods of time uh, was you know serious attempts on my own life um, mm. In any case, I don't know if, uh, honestly, I think it was, it just kind of popped in my head, this, this word Ibogaine um, and, you know, being kind of uh, a, a very studied drug user, I, I obviously knew a lot about different intoxicants and things like that. And i yeah I'd heard about Ibogaine, you know, many, many years ago, um, you know, number one, Due to its you know, extremely long duration, uh, antiogenic um, experience and how crazy all that is, and you know what a, what an experience it is. But I also read in conjunction that it was very effective as a, a means for opiate detoxification. And again, it wasn't like I, I it just kind of came back into my head. This was in the summer of 2000. Uh, Sixteen. Um, yeah, you know, look at look look into ibogaine. Mean, so I, I watched a video. I think it was actually a Joe Rogan podcast where this guy wasn't a drug addict. He was just kind of explaining his experience, and I was like, all right, well that sounds interesting. Um, I, th- I think I watched um, a provider, uh, an ibogaine provider's kind of testimonial video where you know they talked a little bit about the. What's known about the science behind ibogaine and how it may be effective for opiate detox, and uh, basically, it was just kind of sold like, "All right, this sounds like um, a, a possible solution to get off of the suboxone that I had been on, which is, you know, it's a very difficult opiate. Uh, once you're placed on it and are on it for a period of time, it's a very difficult one to." Displace from your life a lot of people are able to you know cut their dose down significantly but um, it, it's just really hangs around in the body for a long time it causes a very very prolonged physical and uh, dysphoric withdrawal and you know it's it's a it's difficult to get off of. Um, yeah and it's for some reason you know kind of having that informational refresh with began It kind of gave me some inspiration to, yeah, I really don't like the way this stuff is making me feel like I'm, I'm super depressed. I have no joy in my life. Um, my, my behavior is just not becoming, um, Yeah. so that that's kind of what set things in motion. And, you know, shortly after kind of doing, and I honestly, I, I, very much kept my research into it very limited uh, as not to give myself too much bias one way or another or too many expectations, but um, you know, shortly after I did reach out to uh, an Ibogaine um, provider, um, their, uh, their facility is called Awakening in the Dream House, and this is uh, facilitated by Asha and Rocky Carabelli. Um, and I, I don't think they mind me using their full names. Uh, they're pretty well out there in the IvyGame community. Okay. Um, I basically had a, you know, a conversation and, you know, expressed kind of what my challenges were and my desires. And we made a, a plan. Um, it was, you know, it was a plan that was going to require quite a bit of work on my end to make it happen. But we, we basically came up with a plan as for a date for me to go to Mexico um, which I had, I had never been to Mexico and stay with these folks who I, you know, knew through the through phone conversations and take this um, you know, wild entheogenic drug, quote unquote. Um, so basically to get from that point of that conversation to when I actually got to Mexico uh, it required me uh, tapering. So I was taking 16 milligrams a day of Suboxone, which, I mean, that's, a fairly pedestrian dose nowadays, um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I was able to, you know, taper off of basically cut my dose in half almost immediately. And it took me um, so this initial call with them was, you know, August, August or so of two thousand sixteen, and uh, I arrived in Mexico in January two thousand seventeen. So I mean, it took okay. a few months to to taper off the suboxone. And in fact, I I went, um, I think it was about a month where I had gotten to a low enough dose of suboxone where I was able to switch to, and this was on recommendation from the provider, I was able to switch to a, a short acting opiate. And I don't really know how I managed to like do that and not just go off the rails and start, you know, buying heroin or, you know, going crazy, but somehow I was able to, you know, get a very modest amount of hydrocodone and oxycodone tablets and, you know, really use only what I needed to for that period to keep me from being sick. Yeah. Um, You know, also before I went to Mexico, I kind of in the withdrawal period, I did actually have, um, you know, a fairly, serious attempt on my own life um you know intoxicated mm. and just really in a, a bad spot despite having kind of that light at the end of the tunnel i mean that that didn't go as planned in that mind state um and i also um my father passed away right before i went to oh. so there was a you know a lot of a lot of hurdles that i had to clear but i i, I made it um yeah and that's really kind of where my my plant medicine story starts. Um, I mean, as far as, you know, psychedelic experiences, um, you know, I I had a, a limited amount of recreational experiences with low-dose psilocybin, uh, took LSD a few times at a couple fish concerts. Um, hmm. One entheogenic experience, and I, I'm not saying that psilocybin doesn't fall into that category. I just didn't use it in that capacity. Right, yeah. Um, uh, but the one entheogenic experience unexpected that I had was actually with uh, salvia divinorum, which uh, really kind of blew me away. Um, you know, It was one of those things where a friend of mine, yeah, I've got this salvia stuff. It's some super concentrated extract. And of course, we didn't know that. Oh, well, this salvia divinorum is reverse tolerance. And usually when you're smoking those extracts, you're overdosing yourself to the nth degree. Um, But in any case, uh, Hmm. yeah, I got blasted. And, you know, it it was a really strange thing because this, this occurred in a period where I was very, you know, down and dependent on a lot of drugs and just not doing a lot of good things in my life. And the thing I remember, aside from the experience with Salvia, which was just, you know, mind-blowing because I had not, and and scary too, I had never had that level of reality shift up in my life, is that for several days afterwards, I just had no interest in using drugs. Like, I actually basically stayed clean. I took a little bit of the... Said it. I think I was taking clonazepam, and I benzos was another thing in my history, but all the other stuff, drinking, everything, it was kind of like, yeah, you know, I I just feel like I don't need this stuff right now. And I mean, that effect lasted for a couple days. So, you know, that that was kind of my first, I guess, experience of, oh, well, you know, I did this thing in a recreational setting, but I had this other completely unexpected effect from it. Um,
1: did you go into that Salvia uh, with the purpose of making a change or did you go into that as more of a recreational thing?
2: I, I, yeah. I, so I did not go into it with any expectations. I mean, I, I, I did not know that. I didn't really know very much about salvia. It was kind of a, yeah, you know, if you're interested in trying something a little crazy, you know, I've got the stuff. Yeah, yeah, let's try it. And, you know, again, at at that point my idea was I'm going to take anything that's available to me to kind of get out of my, my, my circumstances. Um, But obviously in that moment, that plant had a different plan for me um, because it was far from any, um experience that I had had with recreational psychedelic use. And it it, it really kind of left me in a a very interesting spot and not a bad spot. I mean, it was, it was an experience that was so intense for me that literally I just felt like I don't want to do anything else to my body for a few days until I kind of collect yeah. um, And I mean, the, the content of that, that journey was, you know, extremely um, unexpected, like essentially encountering, um, you know, versions of myself, you know, as like a young child. And then, you know, instantly a a slightly older version of my, and having these conversations, which I don't recall the details of these conversations that I had with these different versions of myself, other than that I knew that I was kind of getting, Information downloaded to me that might be very important. Mm. Um, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, basically, like I said, my, my psychedelic experience was fairly limited up to you know arriving in Mexico and on you know undertaking this uh, ibogaine experience.
1: Yeah. And you said discovering the uh, the ibogaine was, was kind of an accident. You did some research into it, but you don't really know how you came to discover that as a specific way to attack this.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, maybe I had done like a Google search on like, uh, you know, natural ways to, to withdraw or to discontinue opiates, but it, it, it was something that just kind of like, kind of just, appeared into my sphere of awareness and once it was there I kind of latched onto it like huh yeah this 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 sounds like maybe something that could help me um yeah
1: all right and so what was uh i don't know if you're ready to jump into it now but what was the the experience like i mean i don't we don't want to necessarily do a detailed trip report but you know Um, I think Ibogaine Uh, um, is one of those things that a lot of people don't really know about. So, I mean, what going, after all you've been through all the different substances and your experience with salvia and then going into this, is it, is it ceremonial? Is it more therapeutic? I mean, how, how did the whole thing go? Sure. You know, going into it and going through it.
2: So the way that, um, you know, opiate detoxification or flood doses are done Uh, with Ibogaine kind of varies wildly. I mean, you can Mm -hmm. go to, you know, literally buiti-facilitated ceremonies, although generally for opiate detoxification, that's not sufficient uh, because they don't really use Ibogaine in that setting. They generally more use Iboga root bark, which is Mm. not really suitable. It's not strong enough uh, for opiate detoxification. There's not enough Ibogaine in the, the root bark. Um, but in general, the, the, the continuum of these types of providers is, you know, people who are um, kind of doing a, um, what we'll say, a loose ceremonial context, um, but also incorporating the uh, medical safety aspects. So, I mean, that's, that's something that maybe I'll just take a quick tangent on and... Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about that, you know, so Ibogaine is definitely in my experience effective for eliminating opiate uh, detox symptoms um, and, and a number of other things. Uh, the, the downside of it is, is it's, it is a very toxic or it can be a very toxic uh, compound, uh, specifically people who have cardiovascular issues and um, certain liver issues. Are really not suitable candidates, um, and because of because of the QT interval prolongation that ibogaine provides, it, it requires uh, pretty diligent medical monitoring, especially at the dose range used for opiate uh, detoxification.
1: And what is that? What you, that you just said? The QT? What is that?
2: Yeah, so I mean, that's basically a a, a heart uh, function. I mean, I, I'm not a. Cardiovascular, oh. but um, essentially, certain drugs like methadone, and, and there are certain drugs that actually prolong this QT interval, as mm-hmm. the ibogaine. So you know, there's there's uh, drug interactions that can cause potentially fatal heart arrhythmias. Uh, there's obviously um, existing conditions that need to be ruled out. So th- the point I'm getting at, without getting too bogged down in all the medical details yeah. is that. Generally, with an opiate detox, it's hard to provide a ceremonial setting because it it really, if it's done correctly and safely, it's more on the end of a medical procedure than a ceremonial, um, you know, ceremony. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there are, there are literally clinics where you, you take Ibogaine and you're literally basically in a, a hospital room hooked up to an EEG or EKG machine and, you know, with emergency resuscitation equipment nearby. So, wow. um, you know, my, my situation was a lot less of that, um, where, you know, obviously they had emergency medical equipment, but I mean, I, I basically, my, 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 Ibogaine, uh treatment was done in a private home, um, you know, with ceremonial aspects incorporated. So, you know, there are some providers that work that way, but a lot more of them work more in a uh, more medical context. So the ceremony aspect is generally not as present.
1: Um, yeah, just kind of there to create the right setting, maybe the right mindset, but not so much the spiritual ceremonial piece.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, you know, for me, uh, as far as my experience, I had a very, um, you know, we'll say mystical experience, um, you know, a full experience. A lot of people when they utilize Ibogaine for opiate detoxification, they don't really have much of a entheogenic experience because the, the Ibogaine or the medicine really is working primarily to detoxify reset the brain, the body, and it just doesn't get to a level where there's much of a entheogenic experience going on. So I yeah. would say that, you know, for most people who are doing this for opiate detox, it's it's generally not like this mind-blowing entheogenic experience. It, it, and in a lot of cases, it's actually very, very difficult because, you know, this, you're... You're under the influence of Ibogaine and you're also concurrently going through a very fast, rapid opiate detox. Yeah. Um, so my mine was on the, the end of the spectrum of, you know, and I, I think part of it was because I had stopped using, um, you know, basically all drugs except for the, the small amount of opiates that I needed to, you know, basically not throw up on myself for the month before I went to Mexico, Um, you know, Mm -hmm. I really made a a concerted effort to go into that uh, process as clean as I could be. And I think the reward for that is that I got to see a lot more of uh, the Ibogaine experience than the average person that kind of, well, I'm going to go do this treatment. So I'm going to go full out and I'll deal with, you know, getting clean when I get to wherever I'm going for Ibogaine yeah Um, as far as kind of the the basics um i mean i I don't really share a lot there just because it was a highly personal experience but what i will say um is the first thing that i you know so obviously when i started or when i was given the, the the medicine i was very much in opiate withdrawal so i mean you know basically having you know pretty strong opiate withdrawals i felt terrible and and obviously freezing cold, you know, but then also sweating and, you know, all the stuff that comes along with opiate detox. Uh So I would say about an hour or so after I had taken kind of the test uh, dose. So, you know, they don't give you this whomping amount of Ibogaine all at once. Everybody, or at least responsible practitioners, will kind of start with a test dose to make sure there's no weird interactions or you're not allergic to it. Um, but in any case, even so with the test dose, like basically about an hour after that, I already felt, you know, I I felt like I was not in opiate withdrawal or like my body kind of heated back up to a a stable temperature regulating ability. Um, and no, I, would, I think I was, and again, the timing is hard to say because this went on for, I think the entire experience was about three days. Um, and wow. Ibogaine is such that for most people, it, it causes significant ataxia. So the vast majority of people that take an Ibogaine flood dose are just in bed for three days. You can't really move. Um, my experience was for... Uh, a significant part of it, I, I actually could uh, ambulate myself without mm-hmm. without issue. Um, but yeah, once the the real heavy duty um, you know waking dream state started, I, I was pretty much stationary. Um, and I mean, in general, it was a lot of just kind of. Um, what I was seeing was just a lot of all of the different ways that I, I had poisoned myself. Um, And you know, and it was weird because I kind of was involved in the, the, the visionary state, but I was also detached from it. So it was like, there wasn't any emotion. I wasn't scared. I wasn't sad. I was just kind of an observer of my, my, my consciousness and unconsciousness um yeah and yeah it it was really an interesting yeah yeah, it was just a very interesting thing I mean there were several um like we'll say key uh visions that came that really helped kind of open the door to the path that I chose to take after the treatment um you know I had some amount of vomiting at some point but I mean realistically it was a very um you know gentle opiate detox. Wow. And you know, I, I basically the kind of the the end of it was the recognition and realization that uh and that you know I can't go right back home after this is over. Um and mm-hmm. that was my plan. So I basically you know, had planned to stay there for a week, which was the recommendation of the providers because obviously the, you know, the detox is three days long and then you want a couple days to kind of, um, you know, recover a little bit and then back home and back to work. And all of that went out the window once I really came hmm. out of the the journey and realized like, man, if I go home now, I, like this is all going to be a waste. Um, yeah. And that, that was one of the, the main impactful things was just, and I think for me being always a, a person, you know, people pleaser and like, well, I don't want people to be mad. I think that just taking that step of saying, you know what, I don't care, you know, what other people think. I don't care what my wife thinks, like I need to do this and, I'm going to do this. And what this was is stay or find an aftercare program or another treatment program where I had more time to kind of get myself together.
1: Yeah. That sounds pretty wise.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that, that's kind of what, what happened. Um, You know, I, I talked with the, with Asha and Rocky about, you know, this idea that yeah you know if I go home right now it's it's just not going to work um, you know my wife was still taking a lot of the medications that I had you know spent the, the last couple months and then just went through this ibogaine thing to get off of and you know for people in recovery when a significant other is using generally that doesn't work out very well and there was just a lot of um, you know stuff. Uh, stirred up from my Ibogaine experience that just needed attention and there was no way that coming back to my life in the United States after that experience was going to allow that process to unfold.
1: Yeah so what did you do?
2: Um, So I ended up going to and again this was I mean, thinking about it now, it's kind of crazy that I did because it was so fly-by-the-seat-of-the-pants. And, I mean, generally, I, I, I'm not a fly-by-the-seat-of-the-pants kind of person. You know, I look mm-hmm. into things, I, I, you know, research things. Um, but for some reason, I, I just I didn't do a lot of research with IT. And I didn't do a lot of research into what the next step could be. Um, fortunately, Asha – uh, connected me with a, a guy named Dinesh Alesko, uh who at the time uh, ran a program called Living Clean, Ibogaine, uh out of a an eco retreat center in Malinalco, Mexico, which is a you know a small, small puebla about two hours, two and a half hours uh, southwest of Mexico City. Hmm. Um, and I kind of took it at face value of like, yeah, sounds good. I mean, there it looks you know, it's held in a natural environment. It sounds like they can support some more integration time and and basically, you know, just provide a container for my therapeutic process to uh, unfold. Um, I also, Mm -hmm. you know, found out that they uh, work as part of the therapeutic process with uh, other entheogenic plants and, you know, having had a, a you know, a p- very positive experience with Ibogaine. I was certainly open to exploring uh, that kind of space further. So it, it basically was within two days, my plan to come back to the U S was now I'm staying in Mexico for another six weeks and going to a, a secondary treatment program. Wow. Yep.
1: That's amazing. So you went through the the six weeks. Um, anything you want to touch on there? Is it really just a matter of making sure you integrate?
2: Sure. Um, You know, I I think the big thing was um, I'm so glad that I did that because, you know, Ibogaine is is really, really kind of rough on the body. And it took me the better part of, I think it was about a week and a half to be we're were close to normal functioning now i'm going to caveat that with again yes i had done ibogaine but i had also detoxed off of a you know a fairly substantial opiate habit so i, I know there was some combination um, but as an example uh, one of the things that generally happens with people when they take ibogaine or iboga especially in large doses is it become you don't sleep for uh, several days usually mm. after that Um, you know, so you start kind of compounding sleep deprivation with with residual, uh, drug withdrawal and, you know, your, your body's still kind of looking for that. And it it gets to be a very, uh, hard space to navigate for, for a little while. Um, and I, I, feel like that's probably why a lot of people who don't have some follow up care, um, you know, don't always make it with Ibogaine because that, Period of time right after Ibogaine is definitely rough, especially when you're used to uh, kind of comforting yourself anytime you're not feeling good with benzos or opiates or, or what or alcohol. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the idea after Ibogaine is to not use any of that stuff. Um, so, you know, initially the program gave me a very, um, you know, safe space with a community of other people who were basically in the same exact situation as I was to unpack my Ibogaine experience. Um, You know, the, the middle part of my uh, treatment program was really where the um, heavy lifting with uh, ayahuasca came in and, you know, we can kind of come back to what that looked like and, um, you know, how that was beneficial, but I mean, it was very, you know, a very deep um, work for me.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, I, I think for the whole group that was there at the time, they were very, very deep ceremonies and, um, you know, and then really the, the last third of the the, the stay was kind of putting all the pieces together, um, working with, uh the doctor uh dr carlos lvr lopez to help release some of the uh body traumas and you know fine tune some of my neurochemistry through some phyto supplements that he he designed um and basically get me get a plan together for a prolonged recovery plan once i return home
1: nice Outstanding. And so then, then when you came back, you know, what, you know, this was, you know, three years ago or so, what has life been like, you know, since that? So if you continued to do any kind of of plant medicine regimens, or have you made any other kind of trip down to Mexico? Or, you know, what, what is life like for you right now?
2: Yeah, so I mean, when I, when I first came back, um, you know, it was definitely, it was actually really difficult, because Like a lot of things that I was just kind of doing automatically or unconsciously, it was almost like I forgot how to do them. So like things like driving around my town, like it was like Hmm. I've lived here forever, and like I just I don't feel comfortable driving, and like I didn't I wasn't really sure like what my role was within my business because I had been gone for a while, and I I honestly felt different about. Um, things and you know things that had bothered me that i was able to kind of stuff down when i was using like now i didn't have that um you know kind of that that ability to just to to push it down so it was like i had to deal with all these things mm. uh, you know my my home life was still a wreck because my wife was you know still using and and really kind of getting in a, in a bad way herself so yeah yeah, but somehow, um, you know, I, I was able to manage all of that and kind of gradually, you know, find my, my footing and not let what was going on externally have any effect on kind of what I had now internally. Um, hmm. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, that lasted a couple months. Um, she actually went, um, a few months, you know, basically maybe four months after I came home and got off of all her, all the stuff she was doing herself. She also did an Ibogaine uh, flood dose. Wow. And basically, you know, things just kind of gradually started to move away from uh, a codependent relationship where both people are using drugs to a, a very, and I, the so both of us were clean and sober when we first met and for the first five years of our marriage. So again, we had kind of a, a framework to work uh-huh. off of. where it's not like we didn't know each other without the drugs and alcohol. We just allowed that to kind of uh, hold our, our relationship hostage for several years. Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, things continued to improve. Um, as far as uh, continuing to work with plant medicines, um, definitely kind of took the approach of you know, I, I'm going to try to drink plant medicines like once every month, at least for the, the first year of uh, my recovery. And I, I pretty much did that, um, including two trips back to Mexico uh, for a week, kind of intensive immersion retreat, and then some uh, peyote ceremonies out in Colorado. Um, I mean, basically what, what I found after that first year is – you know, I, I feel like all of that intensive plant medicine work, you know, really helped set the stage for where I'm I'm at now and, and where I want to go. Um, and it kind of it kind of served as like a, a you know a we'll say a, a lighthouse or a, a beacon to
1: mm-hmm.
2: keep me going forward um, on the path that I, I had started in Mexico. Um. on the flip side of that it also especially once I was you know whatever 20 ceremonies deep into this it, it really started to resonate that you know um, like dude you got the message man like you're are you gonna keep sitting on the phone or are you gonna hang this phone up and go do something with it uh, yeah so that that was kind of like you know I had like this initial like oh man, like I want to explore these these spaces as much as I can. You know, of course, like any, any person who's addicted to things, you know, you find this new thing that kind of gives you this different uh, sensation or whatever, and, you know, you want to repeat that. But interestingly enough, and in total contrast to all of my other drug-using experiences, what I found is the more plant medicine I did, the less I wanted to do more. Hmm. And that's so like, that's like the ultimate paradox. And, and I mean, I know why, but as you know, if somebody, you know, starts drinking alcohol and you know, finds out that it's a, adaptively advantageous for them, like, Oh, I feel better. I can talk to women, whatever. Well, you keep doing that. And, and generally there's not like a, you know, unless there's a, a huge problem, there's, there's, for a lot of people, it is not like a stopping point. It's just like, yeah, right. keep doing this. It's working for me. Um, and you know what? The plants started to to show me is like, dude, you need to like space this out over a l- much longer period of time and allow yourself longer periods of time to integrate the material that's coming up. Um, and I mean, that's kind of where I'm at now. Where you know, if I, I do a plant medicine ceremony once or twice a year, um, I, I feel like that gives me ample opportunity to integrate that and work with my psychotherapist to really dive into that content without overloading it. Um, and I, I just feel like I'm being more genuine to what I I actually need versus what I think I need by kind of, yeah. of deciding, yeah, you know, you don't need to do an ayahuasca ceremony every month unless you're becoming a, you know, you're apprenticing through a lineage to become a, an ayahuascaro, The the West, a westerner doesn't need to drink ayahuasca once a month. And, right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, as far as kind of the the trajectory, you know, I went from being, you know, kind of I'm on the verge of, of ending my own life, despite having full awareness mm. of selfish selfishness, um, blah, 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 um, you know, having issues within my business, just issues in every, every area of my life. Like anybody who, you know, who has a drug addiction, you know, that's basically what it comes down to is it affects every area of your life.
1: Yeah.
2: Or today, I mean, I, I just, I feel free. Like I, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not uh, low-hanging fruit, so to speak. Where you know, let's say the pharmacies all of a sudden shut down and you can't get your prescription pills. Well, you know, three years ago, if that situation happened, I would have been, would have been screwed. Like, I can't take care of my family. I can't do anything because I'm sick because I'm dependent on all this crap. Where today. I don't have, you know, I don't have to take a pill to get out of bed. I don't have to take a pill to go to sleep. I don't have to take a pill because I have too much anxiety. I can just kind of navigate those experiences and with the comfort of, hey, this is a temporary uh, situation, and I have the tools to be okay with being uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: you know, as far as. Material things, I mean, financially, I mean, not that I'm like super wealthy or anything close to that, but I, I don't worry about money. I, I have no fear of economic insecurity. Um, I'm not scared to just be myself. Um, and I'm not scared of people. You know, I'm not hiding in my house like I used to. I, I'm out and about.
1: Um, yeah.
2: All of the relationship, not all of them, but many of the relationships that, were damaged, are uh, in that period of using, you know, I've made strides on my end to repair. I mean, first and foremost, by not being the same asshole that I was yeah. for all of this, but also by, you know, genuinely, um, you know, forgiving that person, forgiving myself and, um, you know, expressing an interest in trying to make things right. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the longer, the, the more time goes by and the more that all of this plant medicine work and connection to other recovery outlets um, and, you know, being involved in a, in inscape Recovery, which is, um, you know, the aftercare program that um, we basically uh, continued after the, the program I went through discontinued in Mexico um, and you know, things are just going um, much differently than they were three years ago.
1: Yeah, well, it, it sounds like it. I mean, that's the—that's quite a way to put that in a, a small way. I mean, it sounds like things have gone 180 degrees for you in a really incredible way. Um,
2: yeah.
1: yeah. You know, as you as you repair these relationships, make new relationships, and grow your life, how how have you? been talking to other people. I mean, when you get so deep into this and you go through this Ibogaine detox and you work with plant medicines, I mean, it becomes such an important part of your life. Do you find yourself talking to quote normal people or other people out there about this and does it raise their eyebrows? Have you had to deal with any, any stigma? I mean, are there people, and I don't, I don't know the answer to this, but are there people out there who are battling addictions who believe that there's a certain way to go about that. And this way is not the right way.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, as far as my, um, my approach to other people, you know, so again, Hmm. at first it was, I want to sing the praises of this stuff from the mountaintop. Like everybody, why suboxone? Why are people not being, you know, told about Ibogaine and, um, you know, over time, what I've, what I've realized is that, you know, when it's your turn to find these things, they will find you, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, so I've, I've kind of taken a a totally different tact on that where it's like, you know what, I'm just going to let my, my results speak for themselves without speaking for the plant. If somebody directly Mm -hmm. asks me, I'll tell them, you know, kind of how I've gotten to where I'm at today, but, you know, I, I feel like there's so much information out there now and a lot of good information about these things. I mean, it's like, I, I don't think I can go much more than a, a week now without there being some mainstream publication, you know, talking about the benefits of MDMA or psilocybin or ayahuasca or whatever. So, you know, I, I feel like there's a, a ton of content out there and, and I, I don't need to really spread that message directly I I feel like by just being genuine and being a good person and you know trying to live in a a, you know live in a a state of working towards self-actualization like that attracts interest in of itself without having to kind of do all the plant medicine talk and oh yeah you know mm-hmm. I, I took this and I took that and now I'm this it's like you know that it's not even really my belief on how these things work so yeah if, if somebody asks of course I'll, I'll share my my story and if somebody who's addicted is looking for Something different than the you know oh, I've already done you know ten different rehabs I've been on methadone I've been on Suboxone I've I've tried everything I keep failing you know the twelve step groups work for a while and then it doesn't you know that's somebody if if I feel like their consciousness is open to something as radical as I begin um, mm-hmm. I might make that suggestion but I've kind of decided that for the most part, the people that know, know, And the people that don't, I'd rather them kind of be attracted to, you know, wow, I knew this guy before and this, I, I'm not sure what happened to this guy, but this is not the same dude that I knew three, four, five, ten years yeah. ago. Um, yeah. So as far as a stigma around these treatments, um, yeah, definitely. I, I think in the U.S., it depends on uh, the part of the country that you're from. So, being you know in the Midwest, I think the information is not as um, definitely within like the AO or the uh, alcohol and drug treatment community. It, it, mm-hmm it's definitely kind of behind and I think there's a lot of resistance just in general to psychedelic uh, therapy because I mean as a somebody who treats addiction most I mean there's actually a DSM-5 diagnostic code for hallucinogen use and abuse disorder so Hmm. most uh, folks that are working in that capacity look at it like well this is ridiculous you're treating drug abuse with another drug that's how's that going to work but i mean that can kind of be thrown right backwards like well uh, hello suboxone methadone (laughs) yeah um and i mean what i'm seeing that is really bothersome across the the drug addiction treatment world is just this whole idea of medical management where all right we're going to get you off of heroin and methamphetamine and Get you to stop drinking, but we're going to give you gabapentin and some kind of SSRI and some kind of antipsychotic, and it's like, what are you guys doing to these people? Yeah, um, you know. So I, I think that um, despite there being a lot of information and and good quality information and good quality studies and you know, an entire, you know, Johns Hopkins, of course, everybody knows about them because of the coronavirus tracker, but a lot of people probably don't know that they have a psychedelic uh, research institute Uh right there at Johns Hopkins. So, um, you know, I I think the information is definitely out there. Um, It's a matter of kind of where people's social media feeds and attention is tuned, whether they're seeing that or they're just kind of, yeah, man, well, if you, you take LSD or mushrooms, you might have a bad trip and you might do this or that. And they don't really know that but actually before these things kind of got unleashed uh, in the way that they were on the general public in the sixties, there was a lot of research going on into, um, you know, using these agents for treating at that time, untreatable mental health illnesses, Yeah, including addiction.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: so, yeah, I, I mean, I think that as the, you know, humankind as a whole is increasing its level of consciousness, I think these things will find their their ways into more people's minds and hearts. Um, you know, I, I think right now we're at a, a interesting crossroads of, you know, people looking for something different um, because antidepressants you know maybe work slightly better than placebo and they have their whole own set of problems and you know people have just been suffering with these un, you know unretractable conditions for a long time that are getting you know maybe some relief, but the side effects of the drugs they're taking probably offset any relief they're getting where I think people are ripe for something different. Uh, yeah but it's you know it's like anything it's a an information war and you know of course for any um, good information you can find about the efficacy for ibogaine um, you know significantly reducing opiate withdrawal and uh, post-acute withdrawal symptoms you'll find a story about how you know this one person died from Ibogaine and you know, of course they don't tell you that the person actually died from a drug overdose because they took an opiate while they were still had Ibogaine in their body.
1: Mm.
2: Ibogaine reduces your opiate tolerance to like nothing. So if you use heroin right after Ibogaine, you're basically using like a naive opiate user.
1: It's a dangerous time.
2: Yeah, of course there are people who have, you know, not disclosed, you know, a major health concern and had problems with that but most of the ibogaine fatalities have either that i'm aware of have either been an undisclosed unknown health situation um, or somebody who used uh, opiates right after taking ibogaine right
1: yeah well it's good that it's good for people to do research and you know along those lines i'm really grateful that you come on and and tell this story and and share the the benefits and and make sure everybody's aware of everything. And I mean, your story is just phenomenally inspirational. Um, Before we wrap up here, is there anything else you want to want to get out there and want to talk about or share?
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, I I, I kind of briefly mentioned InScape Recovery and just to Mm -hmm. plug that as, um, you know, so I, I think, you know, kind of dovetailing back to my story for me, that began really kind of opened a door for me and said, you know, here's the way that you've been living, the way that you've been thinking, your collective belief system, and here is a different door. You can yeah. take either door. I'm not going to force you to do anything. and The choice is yours. And I, I think what, um, you know, really solidified that for me was, going to an aftercare program and having that extra time and, um, you know, those extra deep, um, you know, conscious expanding experiences with ayahuasca and, um, not just ayahuasca. I mean, I I learned how to meditate in that uh, treatment Mm. program. I learned different breath work techniques, all of which is part of my recovery plan and program today. All, you know, a lot of the things that i I learned while I was there, I utilize today um, as kind of, you know, fundamental foundational practice. Um, Yeah. In any case, I I can't say enough about, um, you know, people who are embarking on the path of Ibogaine, especially for substance abuse, arrest, or uh, mental health issues. I, I know of a person who successfully treated an eating disorder with Ibogaine. I can't say enough about taking that next step and whether it's, you know, a program like InScape Recovery, which is a, you know, a residential aftercare with, you know, a full schedule of activities. And, um, if you know, you want more information about that, you can visit our website at www.inscaperecovery.com, um, you know, there are other uh, aftercare programs that are specifically tailored to post-Ibogaine care, um, but if it, you know, it, for a lot of people that may not be financially in the cards, but you, you got to do something. Um, get linked up with an integration coach. Um, a friend of mine, Jonathan Dickinson with Steve Ibogaine does a, a really good job of helping people that maybe don't have resources to go to a full-on aftercare program that is basically being a, you know, a, a weekly or, you know, more than that if needed contact to, to help process that experience and help put the person yeah. in connection with the right resources. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's kind of what I'll end on is um, you know I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to, um, be part of the program. because And it, you know, the way I see it is, um, you know, that, that space, that therapeutic container and, and all of the, you know, the pieces that went into that was there for me to make the transformation that I've made. And, you know, that's what I hope for anybody that yeah you know, goes down this path is that it, you know, it's not just a, well, I tried that, it didn't work, but it, it really kind of, you know, clicks into a a life transformational experience
1: right well i'm so grateful not only for you to come here and share all that but that you're continuing to work at inscape i'll definitely put a link to that you know on the podcast so people can go find that and look into it and uh yeah just david thank you so much you know congratulations for all the work you've done it's it's really truly amazing, and thank you for sharing your story here with us. And uh, I'm just grateful for your time.
2: Yeah, well, thank you. Um, thanks again for having me, and um, my pleasure. And you know, I I think the thing that I've I've really learned is that um, you know we only we can only keep what we have by sharing it. Um, yeah, it's kind of a means to to get back. Is you you put you know you put the information and you you put your your story out there. And, you know, hopefully somebody listening to this podcast is like, yeah, you know, I, I maybe I'll look into this because I, I really want out of this situation. And I know in my heart that I, I can do better than the kind of the life that I'm building around me right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. I hope if somebody's listening that that's what they do. And thank you, David, for uh, pointing them in the right direction.
2: Absolutely.
0: That concludes this edition of the Stoned Ape Reports. Thank you for listening. Please follow us on Instagram at Stoned Ape Comedy and subscribe to our newsletter at www.stonedapecomedy.com. Again, thanks for listening and catch you next time, Stoned Apes.